Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And welcome to another edition of Turned Out of Punk. I'm your host, Damien Abraham. Once again, I'm bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved with punk, but had their life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, huge one, huge guest. I, I even say it to him, I think he's one of the most important artists of the uh, last half of the last century, this uh, this first part of the century. Steve-O from Jackass is here on the show today. That's right. And this one... Oh, God. This goes deep. This is awesome. Get ready. But first, if you want to get in touch with me, head over to the email address, turnedoutofpunkpodcast at gmail.com. That is run by my brother and show producer and guest booker extraordinaire, Tristan Abraham, and he will get the message to me. He also runs a Facebook page and an Instagram page at turnedoutofpunk. I believe it's both of those on, on those things as well. So you can find him there. Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at left for Damien. If you want to support the show, the best way to support the show is just by, by telling all your friends about it, letting everyone know that, you know, that we do this podcast and sometimes it's like, uh, you know, like a, a legendary musician. Sometimes it's Steve from Jackass. Sometimes it's, you know, just tell them we got a lot of cool people on here. Just let them know. You can also support the show by heading over to patreon.com slash turned out of punk. And thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you to all the people that do do that as well. And speaking of support, this show would not be possible without the kind, loving support of the fine folks at Vans who came aboard a few years ago and said, Damien, do what you do. Just don't do it out of your own pocket. And they helped me cover the cost of this thing. And it has been, it's been fantastic. So thank you. Thank you to Vans for everything they do. You can also support this podcast by subscribing to it and rating it on your platform of choice. Uh, if you're looking for something fun to watch visually on the internet, you can check out um, uh, floodmagazine.com slash, well, just floodmagazine.com and look over there for Punk as Fuck, which is a series of videos I did with them a few years ago where I went around Los Angeles and celebrated punk. What else do I do? And finally, Fucked Up has put out our final installment of Year of the Horse. That's right. The final chapter is out. The 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 big conclusion it's an hour and a half long. You can check it out over there on the Fucked Up Bandcamp. Uh, I think you'll dig it. Julian Baker's on this last part. 
uh, Matt from the Nationals on it as well. Um, lots of other cool guests. Uh, really proud of this thing. A lot of people worked on it. I'm just like one small component of a much, much greater group effort. So please check that out over there. It takes an hour and a half. So get comfortable. Bring a book. I didn't read the lyrics. Read the lyrics. There's a lot of good lyrics for that thing. All right. On to today's show. Today on the show, a legend. A legend. I, I call him an artist, and I really do believe he is one of the most important performance artists ever, but one of the most important artists, certainly of the last, you know, few decades. Uh, Steve-O from Jackass. Steve-O, I, <laughs> well, I don't know. There's just so, where do you even start by explaining Steve-O? Steve-O became famous. How do you not know this? But by, uh, by hurting himself as part of Jackass and really catapulted to international stardom. He was on Dancing with the Stars, you know? <laughs> this is a guy who, who, who got on network TV by inflicting immense amount of pain on himself. And of course, that's a massive simplification because there's also a lot of charisma involved. And just, you know, the Jackass phenomena is fascinating to me. If you, if you want to hear me you know, wax more, uh, poetically about it. Go back and listen to the danger Aaron episode. Anyway, uh, Fort Bragg magazine, Instagram account posted this photo of Steve-O wearing a gorilla biscuit shirt. And this was something that I think I saw back in the day on, on, you know, a message board, but they reposted it recently on their Instagram account. And I saw this thing and I hit up Tristan and I'm like, you know what? We got, we got to take a shot at Steve-O and see, see what's up. And oh my gosh, did I not know where this thing would go. This goes, Steve has got great taste. <laughs> you know, he's, he's got great taste. I don't, I don't want to spoil anything for you. This one's going to be coming up in a second. Uh, that's it. I, I don't really think there's anything more to, to tell you about this thing. No, no real notes to get to that. I can see here. Uh, Steve-O over there at Steve-O.com has released a brand new special called gnarly. It's a comedy special with lots of stunts. Uh, <laughs> the stuff I've seen from this thing it looks very, very nuts. Very, very nuts. He is a extreme performer, to say the least. If you are a fan of Steve-O, you will love this thing. And it's uh, watchable online. You, you can go watch it online right now. They're, they're also working on Jackass 4. He's got lots of products for sale on this website, too. So he's running a new book. Anyway, you'll hear about a lot of this stuff in the episode. It, oh, and, there, and there's, there's a, a brief cameo at the very, very end, too. You'll hear that. Okay, that's it. All right, sit back, relax, and enjoy Steve-O on Turned Out a Punk. Steve-O, thank you so much for coming on the show. <laughs> After I flaked on you. <laughs> <laughs> well, <But sure. laughs> well, it is worth it to talk to you because I think you are one of the most influential artists of, of recent memory, certainly of my lifetime. Wow, that's uh, high praise, man. I'll, I'll take it. Well, we'll get into all of that. We're going to get into I think we've got a lot of stuff to talk about today, including both being uh, the progeny of parents that work for PepsiCo. Oh, wow. How about that? Well, we got to start this off the way they all start off, which is, Steve-O, how did you get into punk? Do you remember the first time you ever came across the genre? <sighs> Let's see here. Um, I mean, it started with metal. I, I feel compelled to share my first experience there. I, I believe I was in a Woolworths. It was a department store 
in London, England, and the cover of Iron Maiden's The Number of the Beast caught my eye. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I knew nothing about it. I just knew that that cover, that album cover looked so cool. And uh, and so so I bought that. Um, I, I often say it was, the, it was that first Iron Maiden album that taught me I was a metalhead. And, and that was when I was 10. Um, and then my first Motley Crue album taught me why I was a metalhead. You know, it was like uh, they just were having so much fun, it seemed like. But the <laughs> sex and drugs and rock and roll, like, you know, really, from, from that was when I was 11. I think I, I started aspiring to partying like Motley Crue one way or another. And then I say that when I was 12, my first Slayer album taught me really how bad the situation is. It seemed like uh, there was a progression there. Um, moving on from, from the heavy metal obsession, it, what it was was uh, skateboarding became my identity. And, and I really mean like my identity. I think that like uh, the, uh, being always super uncomfortable in my own skin one way or another, which, you know, I I know is a a trait of alcoholism. Mm -hmm. Um, I was just an uncomfortable kid. I didn't, uh, I I just felt defective somehow. Like I didn't, I wasn't enough. And, and so I always wanted to, uh, to find some identity to really latch onto. And at first it was little league sports and I would be just roaming around on days when I wasn't like playing a game, but wearing my full uniform, like, uh, because that made me feel, you know, and then that, that, that uniform that which represented my identity that I clung to turned into the the heavy metal with the mullet and the you know the jean jacket with the patches on it and stuff and then um coming out of the heavy metal phase it it, my identity became that of a skateboarder and so very much what introduced me to punk music was skateboarding um and uh i was 13 at this point um my family moved back to london england and there was just this little record store around the corner. And uh, God, I just can't even remember which album. Uh, I, I remember like the, the, the first sort of batch of albums. I mean, there was Misfits, Leg- Legacy of Brutality. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that represented the shift. Um, I ended up getting every Misfits album by the time I was 14 or when I was 14. Um, there was SNFU. Um, that, Canadian uh, content. Yeah, Canadian. Um, there are a few Canadian bands that got really into the Dayglow Abortions. Yes. I love the Dayglow Abortions. Um, okay, what what else was there? Um, early on, Youth Brigade was a was a big one. Um, Seven Seconds. Uh, so that all like, you know, and, and I really do feel that I, I associated all of that with as, as like, I probably would have called it skate music, mm-hmm. you know, like not even understanding that it was punk, you know, it was like really just my affiliation 
with the skateboard community. I felt like uh, that, that this music represented. Um, there was also the suicidal tendencies. The Sex Pistols was uh, sort of in that bag. Um, and this is the music that got me through eighth and ninth grade. But during, um, during the summer, I want to say, yeah, the summer between ninth and 10th grade, this is when one of my buddies who I really uh, just felt was just a cool kid. He was better at skateboarding. He had like just this attitude uh, of supreme confidence and uh, his taste in music. I, I, I just, he could listen to whatever. And I would have just, I just thought this guy Franz was so cool. Uh, and, and he was listening to some straight edge, uh, straight edge hardcore, which um, and I think the first band was the Gorilla Biscuits. And, and man, as soon as I heard that first Gorilla Biscuits EP with Big Mouth on it, um, I mean, it was, I was hook, line, and sinker with that. That's so, awesome. So, of course, ha, this is so funny, too. Of course, like, not very long after hearing the, the, that first Gorilla Biscuits EP, I, I immediately <laughs> needed to buzz my head <laughs> and take a big marker and draw uh, X's on my hands to go skateboarding around. Yeah, as one does, absolutely. <laughs> right. Like, I mean, it's pretty funny. Like, what a, like, pitiful, like, little, uh, you know, that was just, the, it was just pitiful. Like, how much I just needed to latch on to things as, uh, you know. But what a positive thing for you to find, you know, like, as a kid searching for, for something. Like, I've always felt that about Straight Edge. Like, it, it, it it's never going to be for everyone, you know, or anything like that. But at the same time, you know, and it's not going to be something that's for life for everyone, but like, it's such a positive thing for kids to find where it's telling you like, you know what, you don't need drugs and alcohol. You don't need to listen to what people are telling you around you. You can be yourself. Sure. Um, yeah. I mean, definitely listening to straight edge hardcore music did not uh, do any harm to me in any, in any way. That's for sure. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, there's a lot of good, good messaging in that. Um, and, uh, the thing was though, it wasn't, you know, like, like now I was living in, in London, England, all through high school. And, uh, like I said, I got in 10th, 10th grade was like super skateboarding and straight edge hardcore. And, um, it, it, like, by the end of ten, during the summer between tenth grade and eleventh grade, um, the last of the skateboarders left my school, which was the American School in London. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I went to this uh, super privileged. Um, you know, I went to school with the, the the American ambassador to England's son, and like all these diplomatic kids and and super you know business uh, court like corporate kids you know, of which I was one. And, um, you know, the, I was just too insecure of a kid to be the only skater. There's no way that was going to work. So once the last other skateboarder moved away, I made very much consciously decided that uh, my new identity was going to be that of a pothead, (laughs) you know, Um, I, I really did. And, and I hadn't, 
I never, nobody offered me pot. It wasn't like there was any peer pressure to, uh, to get into it. You know, like I just decided that that was going to be my next thing. And, and I went seeking it out. And um, as such, my musical tastes turned um, to the Grateful Dead. And, uh, you know, it's so funny how with every with every little phase I went through, it came like a whole new uh, sort of genre of music. And, um, you know, like in some respects, that's super embarrassing for me. But in, in other respects, I think that... Um, having a, 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 a an eclectic well-rounded diverse you know appetite for music is um is really really helpful oh absolutely I mean, it's a it helpful, place yeah. That. yeah absolutely yeah it's um it's you know like people will ask me what's my favorite kind of music and my go-to answer is um music is like food and i don't always want to eat twinkies <laughs> <laughs> You did know, you like, go to any shows during that year that you were kind of into all this stuff? Sure, I did. Uh, I, I got to see the Gorilla Biscuits on their Start Today tour. It was, um, fuck what, it was 1989, um, so like a fall of 1989. Um, I got to see uh, Rollins Band. I don't know how much that really fits in there. Oh, absolutely. Saw, yeah, of course. Black Flag. Yeah, for sure. I saw verbal assault. Oh, amazing. Um, there was a point when I was in, um, I went to this, to uh, Washington DC area a couple of summers and was able to catch shows at the Safari club when I was just 15 years old. <laughs> um, 15. Uh, yeah. Um, so the, oh God, I was excited to see Gut Instinct play there. Are you fucking kidding me? You saw Gut Instinct? <laughs> yeah, I saw Gut Instinct. And they um, remain on my iPod to this day. Absolutely. Uh, I really, One of the hardest bands ever. Yeah, fuck yeah. Dude, which brings to mind more bands. Uh, Outburst was really great. Um, Dude, yes. <laughs> killing Time. I really like Killing Time. Incredible. Um, there's, I mean, I guess it fits into the, to the, uh, the straight edge more, but uh, but not New York straight edge. Uh, a band called Side by Side. I was. Uh, they were New York too. Absolutely. Oh, they were in New York. Okay, well, shows what I know. Oh, dude, how did I forget Youth of Today? They were a huge staple. Absolutely. Did you see them? Because they did a European tour, I think, around there too, right? Yeah, I did not. Okay. I did not. I think I, 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 I could believe that I would have been intimidated to go to a Youth of Today show. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, there's something more lighthearted about the Gorilla Biscuits and, and something a little bit intimidating about, uh, you know, like the suggestion of violence, you know, for like the, the whole bold, you know, and Youth of Today, like, your eyes are red and I'll kick your ass. <laughs> I, I really do think in the, uh, you know, the, the, the broad light of today, Gut Instinct is definitely a much more harder show experience than the Youth of Today show would have been. Yeah, like, you know what? That, um, that, that is a very fair point. <laughs> it's a very, very <laughs> fair point. Um, yeah. That's awesome. So were, were there any bands in the UK that you saw? 
like like i mean local wise bands from the uk mm. like uh i guess like um i'm trying to think who would have been around then i guess leatherface would have been starting to get going jail cell recipes um, i remember that these names don't ring a bell but uh a, a band that was i believe fairly local and uh i, I didn't see them live but i just saw them uh they're being pushed pretty hard by that local record store. It was a band called Bolt Thrower. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. They ended up doing a whole record themed around Warhammer 40K. Nice. Okay. <laughs> they're, they're also a, a sort of a legendary hard band. They, they kind of transition more into sort of the world of like death metal and become kind of like foundational to that too. But now the, the, the label that would represent that sort of a bridge would be Alternative Tentacles. Is that? makes oh, sense yeah well I, I think earache over there in the uk would have mm -hmm. been um would have been kind of like they would have been putting out napalm death and carcass right, okay. and and bolt thrower later on as well but yeah certainly alternative tentacles had like a i guess a weirder roster by that point you know like it's the dead kennedy's label but yeah. by then it was like alice donut and and i'm trying to think ultra bidet and no means no ah logical nonsense got yes. signed to uh yes. to alternative tentacles they were out of albuquerque new mexico and i lived in albuquerque and knew those guys whoa that's awesome fucking logical nonsense is not on my ipod these days i'm just realizing sometimes it you know like and this is something that I really, really love and don't do enough, but like whenever I can like dedicate myself to just sinking my teeth into one album and just listening to it on repeat over and over and over, I feel that I'm, I'm, I'm really like, like fusing whatever like moment in my life which i'm which i'm living like i'm bonding it to that music and and as a result by having my ipod on shuffle like it'll just take me on this crazy time traveling experience you know like the way that when when we hear music from the past it, it conjures up like real emotions like real feelings and uh you know like i'm always trying to think of like music that i can dig up from my past that uh th that i don't have in in my my library that that can evoke that like sort of time traveling of, of uh you know the that that evoke those old feelings because it's so real you know and um to do that with logical nonsense would would it would take me right back to those uh to, to you know those late 90s and um those were really particularly special times. I love that you're aware of logical nonsense. Fuck, they're great. I should, you know, I'm, I'm sure I've got some logical nonsense records on vinyl, but uh, I, you know what? This show is really good at tracking down things like that for people. So if these get passed on to me, I will make sure they come to you. But like you're saying, there's something about physical format where you would spend time with a record that I think that's one of the things that's lost now. Like, obviously, we have everything at our disposal, which is incredible. But at the same time, you don't really... I find get bonded to things in the same way that you did when you kind of had that one thing that you're listening to over and over again, like you're saying. Right. Uh, yes. And, and in some ways too, uh, probably much less so, but like the way that our devices, which, you know, if it's an iPhone, if it's an iPod, if it's just like, you know, the car stereo, like via Bluetooth, um, the way that it, it uh, 
you know, labels every track. I think that we're more aware of track names today than we were back in those days because sure we we would maybe we would read the lyrics and the album sleeve maybe we but we wouldn't like you know like, I, don't, I i noticed that recently i thought man i'm aware of, of of song names more than i think i used to be yeah i guess you'd be more aware of the album title and then you just kind of digest it as a complete piece right uh-huh unless you're making a mixtape I guess that would be the only time you'd really break it up into those in individual tracks, but then it's normally like one song that you kind of fixate on. So you're, I, I remember going on tour in 2014 in Australia and we had this hysterical, uh, this hysterical tour manager who was assigned to us and um, us being me and my tour manager, Scott Randall. And, okay. and this guy, you know, picks us up. He's, it's his job to get us to the shows around Australia. And uh, the first time we got in the car with them, I, um, you know, synced up my Bluetooth to the, the rental van. And like the first thing that came out of my iPod was Slayer. And this guy's, oh, we're going to get along great. <laughs> you know, but my iPod being so diverse, like maybe the next thing that came out was like the fucking Thompson twins or something, you know? <laughs> and he's like, what the fuck is this? And uh, we got into like talking about the, the, you know, tastes in music. And this guy says, I said, Oh, I listened to all kinds of, he goes, yeah, I listened to all kinds of metal. <laughs> all kinds of metal. And uh, I, I just think of that because I wonder like how, uh, are you like, pretty religious to punk music well i think to me the thing about punk that's incredible is that there is no sonic template like on this show i've had people from the go-go's on people from the b-52s on people from agnostic front on people from black flag on people from the gorilla biscuits on like, uh, how about Madball? i'd love to to dig up Madball. i don't think uh oh they're they're, they're definitely still going they just played a show today or yesterday Oh yeah, and that wasn't Madball. Like, if I understood the uh, like the the myth of the band was that the lead singer of Agnostic Front was in jail for some reason, and the little brother of the singer of Agnostic Front took over, and that was like how Madball came to be. Yeah, like he, uh, Freddie used to get up at Agnostic Front shows and just and get the mon get the mic from Roger. And just sing because he was going to agnostic front show since he was like like probably like four or five years old type thing so he knew all the words so he would get up and so at a certain point yeah they just did a seven inch ball of destruction with freddie fronting agnostic front and then over time you know the mad ball develops its own lineup and very much is a is a a, a monster unto itself like it, they are definitely i think probably the the kings of new york i'd say I can I can recall there being like a, a self-titled track Madball that was just that I think I even tried to dig up at some point and uh, and 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 couldn't consider you know maybe it's just a, a, I didn't look very hard but uh, that uh, Madball whether it's even the title of the track I'm not sure but I just remember like this kid just screaming mad ball in some like <laughs> mosh pit part of the song. that was just super intense. Yeah, no, Freddie, Freddie's definitely a hard vocalist. I think some of their stuff, most of their stuff is on streaming services, but maybe not the first two singles, but um, uh -huh. you know, they're, they're still going strong. We actually, 
uh, went on tour with them a couple of years ago in Australia in, in the band I play in and uh, really cool to be on tour with them, but definitely like a, a different presence than, you know, any of the other bands on tour, any of the metal bands or pop punk bands on tour. Oh yeah. Well, um, how about bad brains? Um, they were a big part of my, my ninth grade. One of the greatest um, bands ever. Absolutely. A hundred percent. Yeah. And then there's the tune, um, sacred love. And I recall the myth being that HR was in jail and recorded the song over the phone from jail, which was, supposedly testimony to like what an incredible uh you know sense of of uh, of rhythm and and because he on his end he had no no musical track but and even the lyrics of the song sacred love indicate it's about a guy in jail he says i'm in here you're out there you know like but, th- but that's not the case huh so why was that track recorded over the phone right like with was he in prison when it was recorded? I thought he was. I don't. I'd, I'd be really interested to find out because I believe that at some point I dug into that a little bit and learned that he wasn't. I yeah. <laughs> I always I always heard that rumor too, and I've never, to be honest with you, dug into it very. I deep. think it's worth digging into it, dude. I think we got to find out. I think that that was uh, just an artistic liberty right there. <laughs> You know what? It's like that John Ford thing where you just sometimes just go with the legend, you know, just, just right. help build that myth. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> which is, it's like, which is funny. Cause like, and here's where I'll kind of make the first analogy, I guess, to, to, to what you do as a performer. It's, it's punk rock for the most part uh, is about tearing down a lot of that edifice that goes into like making sort of these rock band myths, you know, and it's about sort of exposing the reality and kind of, I think, what you do as a performer, it's like the probably the most real performance that there is. Right. You know? Yeah. I mean, and, and I feel compelled to thank you for the kind words. Um, so thank you. I, I think also that like in my career is really based on uh, like a saying like video or it didn't happen. <laughs> like, uh, you know, like you just don't even bother making claims unless there's video to back it up. <laughs> and that's kind of uh, like proved to be my little um, it, my my angle on my new career in stand up comedy. Mm-hmm. Because for all of the, you know, the fictional stories that that uh, stand up comedians sort of spin, I don't do any of that. And, uh, you know, and, and now, like, I did uh, uh, this last comedy special where, like, I, my head exploded when I came up with the idea to be telling these utterly insane stories with all the jokes mixed into the act, but actually also edit into it the video footage of the stories unfolding. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I made this, like, crazy, like, super explicit multimedia comedy special which I called gnarly and uh, I, I stream it from uh, from my website, stevo.com. And it's so funny because you have to click to indicate that you're over 18 years old just to see the trailer because it's uh, like, I've really leaned into making it super, super fucked up, but, um, but yeah. And, uh, and then 
in following up the gnarly special, I decided I didn't want to tell any old stories anymore. I wanted to create new ones because, you know, I don't want to turn into the guy, the guy talking about what he could bench press in high school, you know. <laughs> and uh, and so, yeah, now I got my bucket list tour and it's very much that. It's funny because like when uh, Aaron was on the podcast, he kind of talked about how much like the physical toll of what you guys do weighs on him. Like, do you feel you know, that you mean danger, Aaron McGee? Yes. Yeah. Super cool, man. And uh, I want to say it's about one week ago. He became a father for the first time. That is incredible. He's I, I knew him for years just as a guy who would come to our shows and take photos and then yep. never made the connection that he was danger Aaron until one day I'm just talking to him backstage and it just all clicks. And I'm like, Holy fuck. You're the dude from Jackass. Yeah. He's like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just like he is. Yeah. A, amazing dude. Very unassuming. So uh, congratulations to him on becoming a father. For sure. Yeah. I love him, man. He's, he's probably the, the most uh, well-adjusted, like, you know, the, of, of all the guys, I mm. think, um, and I think that while fame is not something that anybody is uh, really seems to be trying to trade in, you know, I think um, as unhealthy as, as fame, fame is, I don't think there's anything healthy about it. But, like, you know, there there's some real perks to it. And uh, I think that Danger Aaron would have to be, like, the least affected by uh, – the spotlight it was fascinating talking to him and finding about like you know growing up with you know obviously the parents in the in the funeral industry and just seeing how yeah. that affected him and like somehow it weirdly i guess it also kind of grounds him i suppose so yeah i recently had danger aaron on my podcast and um you know, I just like I just kind of got into her and said, like, hey, man, you know, like you've always been sort of like a whipping boy uh, on Jackass. It's like, uh, yeah, like just getting uh, people just essentially bullying you, you know, and, and I've never really uh, liked that. I haven't like much participated in it or uh, or approved of it. And um, yeah, like I, I don't even it's um well, it's funny you bring that up. Lance Bangs, when he was on the podcast, really talked about that. Like, talked about how much bullying and kind of hazing went on in in Jackass stuff, mm -hmm. and, and just how like it, 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 like you're saying, it's it's definitely something where I know it reminds me so much of pro wrestling, like the, what you guys do, and it's even more intensified than pro wrestling because in pro wrestling, there's still that edifice of character that they kind of hide behind, where it's you guys, it's just bone on bone reality. And I can only imagine what that kind of does, you know, right. mentally and, and just kind of creates a sort of locker room situation. Yeah. I mean, if anybody deserved to be uh, bullied and abused, I would say it was me, <laughs> you know, like I was uh, always so, um, so just plain difficult to be around that uh, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I think the, uh, you know, there's that thing, Boonwell, and there's all this thing about documentary and how fake documentary is, is like a type of film, because the reality is you're just, you're dressing up reality. And I really think that you guys were making pure documentary, like the, what you guys do, huh. were doing was like very, like, it, it's, it's kind of like, it obviously owes a lot to performance art in, in not sort of a direct way, I'm sure. But like, I think just like 
what you're doing, but also it's bringing it to a new, it's like the Mondo film. It's just so many things going on in what you're kind of creating. I, I'm just still stuck on uh, your take on documentaries and, and I'm kind of trying to break down that thought a little bit, or at least my interpretation of it. And I think that, yeah, like you can certainly make documentaries to create a narrative you know, as we see all the time and really, really influence people in a big way. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that's why YouTube can be just so, so cr- crazy scary. And it's probably, you know, I, I wonder how much YouTube and social media in general has to do with how divided the, you know, the world is today, because it is so easy to, to create a narrative um, that's, you know, seems very real and is very persuasive. Oh yeah. Like we've had a complete breakdown in, you know, and there, there was obviously faults with the mainstream media, you know, as such, but there's now like, what is mainstream media, you know, and like what sef- separates, you know, just some random person putting out a tweet from a, a legitimate news organization, putting out a tweet, right. like it's democratized completely. Right. It's so crazy, man. But um, but with that said, I, I wouldn't want to uh, to disparage documentary filmmaking as a whole. You know, like uh, I, I think that exactly. And I'd say that as a guy who like virtually exclusively consumes nonfiction. I just like I, I mean, I'd, like, I could I, I could bend my rules here and there. But uh, I have very little interest in scripted movies. You know, I, I'm more into them if they're based on a true story. Uh, I just kind of have always felt that that uh, the world, there, there's so much interesting stuff to know. And, you know, like, like, why do we spend so much time learning about shit that didn't even happen? Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, absolutely. Yeah. No, and I and I didn't mean to disparage documentary. Like, actually, I made a documentary about uh, Darby Allen, the guy you you've done oh, some wow, work with. Cool. Um, you know, a couple years ago, but even there, I'm presenting a narrative to the audience. Right. You know, and I'm right. not putting. And, I'm you know, I'm deciding what gets in and what gets left out from right. Darby's story. Right. And and let me not let me not accuse you of disparaging documentary filmmaking. I think that's a step too far. Okay. But uh, <laughs> you know, and I think that that your point, you know, that it's it's really impossible to take complex sort of uh, stories like histories and then condense them into a you know a, a limited time presentation without leaving things out, without uh, skewing the the truth. And um, so, yeah, so, so your point is super valid. And then I think that, that what that took me to is like the cases where people are like really, really reckless about it. You know, like I, like a great example of this, of this whole uh, using the power of persuasion afforded by documentary Um with the the vegan community mm. um like uh, clearly it, uh, it, it just drives me nuts how uh the the like vegan documentaries there are some in particular that um 
really like twist science, you know, like not like even even just put fully factually wrong information like and, and put it forth as science um, in the interest of, uh, of promoting and spreading veganism. Mm-hmm. But uh, but I, I don't think that that helps the movement. You know, I don't think that that furthers the, you know, the animal rights. I don't think that benefits animals to lie to people about, about, uh, you know, food. No, and, I, um, no, go on. Sorry. The, yeah. Sorry. Like, I'm just like kind of complaining, but, um, no, I, I agree with you hundred percent. Like I, I just went vegan during this pandemic thing and, uh, you know, for, for me, like the largest thing that kind of kept me away from it, I think was, a lot of the stuff you're talking about, just like a lot of people just, I don't know, like a lot of the service to veganism are sometimes other vegans, at least to me as someone who sure. finally Yeah, I mean, that's a whole other separate issue where if you're not vegan enough, you know, and it's like v- vegans attacking vegetarians, like uh, vegans attacking pescatarians, like it's really pretty absurd. Um, and, and what upset me the most was... Uh, this documentary because I was in it, <laughs> you know, I was in it <laughs> talking about like, uh, I was in the documentary talking about how I showed up to uh, like a fun charity fundraiser thing to benefit the diabetes association. And I walked in and they were serving chicken and, and um, from, I had like subscribed to all of this stuff that was in the vegan documentaries about how, you know, uh, eating animal products, clogs up your arteries or whatever that causes cancer or like creates diabetes. And, and, and I, I, you know, threw a temper tantrum and stormed out of this diabetes uh, event on the basis of, of, uh, of them serving chicken there. And, and I said that I said serving chicken at a diabetes event, is like serving alcohol at an AA meeting, <laughs> you know? And uh, I really think that that was, um, you know, I drank the Kool-Aid, man. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I, drank the, I drank the Kool-Aid. And so then they put me in this documentary saying all that, which, uh, you know, in and of itself might not have been uh, too bad. But the problem was that the rest of the documentary, they were making these, these claims that sh- that sugar's not sugar doesn't cause diabetes and eating animal products does. <laughs> like, you know, like it was just outrageous claims. And and if uh, if you look at um, if you go on YouTube and and search debunking what the health that was yeah. the name of the documentary. Yeah. You just see a litany of videos from people saying I'm a doctor and what the health is a bunch of bullshit you know like i'm a vegan and what the hell is a bunch of bullshit and like it it drives me absolutely nuts that like you know these people you know in their in their efforts to help the the plight of of animals help animals and like that they're that they're doing this but they're just taking all these steps backwards because when people realize that they've been lied to you know, that's not, that's not moving anything forward for animals. Yeah. And, th- yeah. and that's the, the world we live in is where you can kind of take, 
you know, it almost looks like you're an authority just because of the way things are packaged now when, when you make something. And that's, that's the problem with documentaries at the end of the day, it's just like everything it's, it's ultimately entertainment. And I think that's, that's why what you guys do is so pure because you're like, Hey, I'm going to do this thing and it's going to really hurt. You do the thing and it really hurts and we watch you do it. And I think there's just something that's just, there's nothing else that's kind of given to us. That's like that in terms of culture, I guess. Yeah. Well, Hey man, thanks dude. I, uh, I have all kinds of theories about how, uh, you know, how jackass is just really lightning in a bottle and, and something, something really special, you know, for how reckless and, uh, you know, even like self-destructive, like at, at times we, we are, um, it's certainly irreverent. Like, you know, there's like in all of that, there's this, this, uh, profound like love and respect and, um, you know, the idea that we're so crazy and, and even harmful, but like so, so uh, careful about only being harmful to ourselves yeah. and not to others. Like there's, a, you know, there's just there, there's no like misogyny, like homophobia, like there's just not not no like. It's all in such a good, like wholesome spirit. And it's weird to call jackass wholesome. But uh, but that's that, that's like genuinely how I see it, and uh, and it's something I'm super super proud of. Uh, yeah, I think it goes back to the honesty. Like it's you're not trying to deceive anyone, and I think that's where it is different than pro wrestling, where the whole pretense behind pro wrestling is the deception, and here the whole pretense behind what you're doing is the honesty. Like we have to believe that it's real because it is real, obviously. But that's the only way it's effective. As soon as people start thinking it's fake, it becomes Kenny versus Spenny. You know, it becomes something completely different. Yeah, for sure, man. Um, where did you kind of go? Like, obviously, you're you're hanging out with logical nonsense. Are you going to shows in New Mexico? Um, my other buddy, I wonder. I mean, you're so in, into the. Uh, there's a sm- somewhat smaller band called Word Salad. Oh shit! On prank. Word salad was, uh, yeah, those guys were my buddies too. Yeah, I went to see Logical Nonsense play, hell yeah, as well as Word Salad. Um, and uh, and the, the drummer for Word Salad is my buddy Abe, Abe Towery. And I, I love that guy so much, man. Uh, but yeah, there's a, uh, there, oh, and I forgot another, another show I saw, DRI. Yes. I saw DRI at the launch pad in uh in Albuquerque as well as uh multiple logical shows. So the stuff in Albuquerque you're going to is a lot more crusty, you know? Like um was that kind of the vibe you had at that point or or is it just kind of like you you're well, friends with these dudes? DRI was a band that I got into way back when I was 13. Yeah. The more cross. I was 13 years old. I got the the album dealing with it. Um, And uh, so, yeah, by, by the time I was in Albuquerque, God, DRI seemed like old man. I remember really feeling that way too. And come to think of it, like it was all, it was less than like 10 years into their, into their tenure, you know, um, 
it's crazy how like time changes, man, as it goes by. Hmm. Absolutely. But um, but yeah, like uh, I, I don't know. And then there's another one. Uh, an incident I got while in Albuquerque. I was thrown out of a Kiss concert for <laughs> blowing a fireball in the the seats. <laughs> <laughs> So you're yeah. already doing stuff like this by this oh, point. Oh God, right? yeah. Oh hell yeah. Like I moved to Albuquerque in '96, and um, dude, I I dropped out of college like uh, filming stunt videos in '93. Yeah. What was your influence on doing that stuff at that point? Because that's pre-skate videos, really having that kind of vibe to them. Yeah, for sure. I mean, what led me to the video camera was the skateboard. And um, I, I uh, ended up putting down the, the skateboard a little bit, but I kind of hung on to the video camera. Like when I went to college out of high school, I went to the University of Miami. And, um, you know, my whole vision was to, like I was in the School of Communications, you know, I was specifically had a major in advertising or at least I was seeking to have a major in advertising because uh, I just thought, I thought the, the skateboard introduced me to the video camera, but I wasn't very good at skateboarding. So I was going to try to like become a creative advertising guy and, and um, make, make commercials or whatever. I just felt. And uh, then I just, then I realized that saying going to class and, and making it through college wasn't really in the cards so still kind of clinging to the video camera as, you know, the, my, my future one way or another, recognizing that I wasn't that good at skateboarding. I thought, all right, well, if I just did really dumb shit, you know, like really crazy stunts, then, uh, and it was definitely modeled by like some of the antics and some of the just nonsense that would appear in skate videos. And as my career kind of like, sprouted i suppose as it like germinated in the beginning um i i made it my goal to to provide comic relief and uh, a breakup of the monotony of the skateboarding in skateboard videos because that's like even a skater can't watch just solid skating for an hour with kind of without kind of losing their mind mm -hmm. and 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 you know from the beginning of skateboard videos there was always something to break it up you know and i, I wanted to provide that and then it turned out uh, when I was appearing in skateboard videos that uh, one of the it was the Big Brother videos became like really quite wildly popular. And the guy in charge of making them, who's, of course, Jeff Tremaine, <clears throat> he reached out to Spike Jones and, and he was like, yo, Spike, our, our Big Brother videos, you know, are, are uh, really becoming popular. And I think if we take out the skateboarding, then just all the antics on their own could be a show. And how lucky did I get? Because I'm like, I really want to be a skater, but I'm just not that good. So I'll just settle for being in skateboard videos doing dumb shit. And then it was the dumb shit from the skateboard videos I was in that, that really uh, resonated with, <laughs> with a mainstream audience. And, well, and so, like, yeah, when they edited out the skateboarding from the Big Brother videos, 
all that was left over was Knoxville and me and Wayman and Pontius. And it was just that simple. You know, it was just, I didn't do shit to, to become famous. All I did was try to get escape videos. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I love the idea though, that then it goes around and it's, it's just like recruiting the, like the, the super group of people that are doing dumb shit on video. You know, like the people in the Pacific Northwest, the people that are in Pennsylvania doing it. Right. You know, even yourself that's in Florida, I guess, before this, like uh -huh. you guys are all coming together and it's like it's sort of this, this sort of like uh, Voltron of, of people willing to subject themselves to extreme violence. And I guess the only thing that's kind of likened to it around this time that's happening is, is performance art and deathmatch wrestling. Like and obviously what you do is ultimately more extreme, but like, these are the two things that are kind of like closest to it in terms of what you subject yourselves to. Yeah. And Rose too, I guess the circus shows also. Happening. Yes. But I, I would th even throw in like David Letterman's stupid human tricks, perhaps before I did the, before I went to the Jim Rose. Okay. Yeah. But then again, I mean, I don't know, maybe not, you know, I think that, uh, they probably much closer to it. What it was, was like America's funniest home videos, <laughs> you know, America's funniest home videos was really like the very first, uh, you know, sort of fail compilation. <laughs> well, and you guys were almost like David, Hume, David Letterman, stupid human tricks, but like you're David Letterman at the same time as you're the person doing the stupid human trick. Like you're, you're part of the joke as opposed to the punchline of the joke. Right. Yeah. In, in what you're doing, I guess. Um, what was it like working with Umaga? Oh, with Umaga? I mean, he was cool. Um, I watched that video of you going through that video again, and it is, it is harrowing what he does to you. Like, I, they, you know, like right. I, I made, uh, you know, I did a lot of stuff around pro wrestling and uh, it, it to send you in the ring like that without any training is. Well, I mean, we, we walked through, sort of what it would be um you know like i think uh, i found myself in the dressing room of uh of a band and man why can't i uh remember the name of this band oh that'll make me go crazy but it was really interesting uh, it was a jam band <laughs> yeah <laughs> and uh my buddy's super into them um and so they were getting ready to, uh, um, so I'm, I'm now like, uh, trying to like widespread panic, like not fish. Obviously that's yeah, it was a smaller, um, lettuce or whatever they're called, uh, string cheese in it. Uh, we're gonna, I'm going to lose my mind. Um, but whatever, like, uh, they were, um, getting ready to do the the show and they were kind of just be like, okay, like we'll do this and then we'll do that. And then you go to that. And then, and I felt like, wow, just, just being in their dressing room, watching them talk through what their, like what their plan was. And then knowing that they were just kind of like sort of freestyle it. Yeah. I, I told them, I said, man, like you guys doing that reminds me of, of uh, my match uh, at the WWE because, uh, you know, it was like, they, we kind of just kind of sort of walked through it, you know, like, okay, there's going to be this move. And then, you know, it's sort of the tent poles of the performance, like we're mm -hmm. just kind of agreed upon and, and, you know, and then this will happen, that will happen. But, 
you know, but, but that didn't speak to necessarily how it was going to play out as much. You know, we're just going to get from this point to that point to that point. And then the final move will be when, when Umaga jumps off the top rope and uh, like they call it a splash, I think. And, um, and, and of course I, did, I didn't know that the, the match is not deemed finished. If uh, someone's still moving around. <laughs> and, and yeah, like they should have told you that like you gotta stay down whatever you do stay down i know it was uh it was actually like kind of tragic even you know to to get to there's no way out of it and um i don't i'd like I, I don't think anybody necessarily knows how it ended because you know it got so dark with him just pummeling and beating me into a blackout that uh the broadcast stopped showing what was going on in the ring and uh they just left him beating me in the ring and went to commercial you know like yeah they uh um and 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 i don't remember leaving the ring <laughs> so mm-hmm. i don't i don't have any inkling as to how that happened and and you know that kind of uh you know head trauma is um pretty gnarly <laughs> yeah no i could only you know imagine what that was like to go through because you know and then wrestling- i went home from there having been beaten into a blackout and then i went home and uh inhaled like hundreds of cartridges of nitrous oxide is that that photo no th- that oh. photo was uh when um we were sh- doing a shoot with terry richardson i just oh, wow. brought i brought all of that to an actual uh photography set shoot yeah yeah, no, that's, uh, I guess that's the other thing that you were, you know, you talk about that in the video that you were pretty high that night, even at the WWE yeah. kind of going through that. So I imagine that played into not being able to stay down. Yeah, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's a harrowing video to watch. And like, it, like you're saying, like <laughs> you know, the least they could have done is tell you to stay down. And that's the thing about wrestling. Unlike, unlike punk music, like the real difference to me is the fact that to protect wrestling you kind of have to do that. Like, you know, like not, not saying that justifies what he did to you at all, but like at the same time, like that's what wrestlers do in order to protect their business. And it's as soon as you get in the ring, it, it all bets are off. Like they broke Hulk Hogan's leg when he went to try out the first time. Oh yeah. Oh my God. Speaking of leg breaks and not to uh, put, you know, a, a frame of time on this podcast, but did you see last night? The dude in the the UFC. Oh no. my god! Um, it was uh, seconds into a match. This this guy, like his name's Chris Weidman, throws a kick at his opponent, but he didn't like. You're supposed to sort of hide a kick. You're supposed to throw a punch and then follow it with a kick, and he didn't do that. So he just, and so the opponent saw the kick coming and just sort of like checked it and like really stepped like down on it. Well, this guy, the, as the leg strikes, you know, the, the kicking leg just yeah. straight folds in half, dude. Uh, it folds in half. And the guy not realizing that, that, that this happened goes to try to stand on it. Stand on it. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. That was like the, that was even the harder part to watch. It was so fucking intense. Well, oh, my God. 
Well, I guess that's the other thing that's kind of happening just before Jackass or just around Jackass is is those banned from TV tapes. And there's a, there's a scene like that with a kickboxer in that in one of those banned from TV tapes, which reminded me of them, where there was almost like this like precursor of stuff kind of happening, like uh, backyard wrestling tapes being advertised on TV. Like there's right. all this stuff. And Back, guys, yeah, too hot for TV was a real thing, man. Yeah, there was, exactly. Uh, backyard wrestling there was caught on tape or like i mean it was almost like a, a early 2000s iteration of faces of death where like you exactly. see the, someone walking in front of a train and then it just stops and we can't show you this on tv but i, I figured out the name of that jam band it was spafford I would have never gotten that so good yeah found that pretty, pretty small band from florida but really cool guys um, well, that's the thing about what you're describing, like those, those tapes, like faces of death, even like those, those videos are something that, you know, like, like people are drawn to, like those things sold millions and millions of copies. And what you guys did was still provide, you know, that level of thrill voyeuristic kind of like horror show for the audience, but take out the death and the lack of consent that's in those videos. Yeah, right. <laughs> And it really does provide, like, it's amazing talking to Darby Allen, like, you're his biggest influence. Like, it's not necessarily even the wrestlers that he That kid is so rad. Yeah. Darby Allen, man. I mean, I I worry about him, and I'm, like, like, just genuinely in awe of him, man. I mean, Jesus. Yeah. No, he's definitely on... um, I don't I don't think I've met too many people like him, you know, like his just singularity in what he's trying to do. And it's it's scary because it's I've seen him. Oh, my God. Some of the stuff I saw him do like it's just uh, it, 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 it really is kind of like on another level. But it's very much inspired by by what you guys do. Yeah, it's 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 intense. It's uh, yeah. Well, what was the, how did you end up uh, getting Darby Allen? I did a documentary series for Vice called The Wrestlers. And it was um, a series of 10 documentaries looking at wrestling as an art form. Um, so we went to Japan and looked at strong style wrestling at Lucha Libre. And uh, we went to the Congo and saw uh, Witch Catch, which is Bokoko based wrestling where they wrestle in the streets for free. And the wrestlers are all witches and they perform magic in the ring against their opponents. And it's, it's huge. It's, it's ginormous how many people are there. And this one woman, her finishing move is she castrates and eat, eats her opponents a penis in the ring. And wow. it is the most insane thing I've ever seen. And she left the ring with the penis in her mouth and the knife. And it was like she pulled out a gun. The crowd was reacting like she, she like it was just <laughs> unreal. So what? And that what? That's just like fake or what? Yeah, it's a gimmick. It's a gimmick. And then the whole thing is that she can restore the person's penis. But the thing about wrestling there is it kind of crosses the line where it's almost like what well, is religion? Like these people are religious practitioners. Like you wrestle for free in order to demonstrate your power as a witch, so you get hired to perform rituals for people outside of the ring. Like it's really. It is religion. Yeah, crazy, it's, man. It's fascinating. But like, anyway, so Darby was one of the, we did a episode all about Evolve Pro Wrestling, which is where Darby kind of got discovered, I guess, originally, and uh, three wrestlers that were wrestling for them and kind of being groomed to become stars. And 
And actually all, all three of them kind of moved on to bigger things, but Darby certainly has like even meeting him then we're like, Oh, this guy's got something special. And he's, they shattered his elbow in the middle of a match with a shovel. On Damn. The first day we were shooting with him, And actually the first day we were shooting with him, he fell off a ladder and got a giant goose egg and thought he was bleeding internally and had to go to the hospital. And the second time we shot with him, they shattered his elbow and then put him in a body bag full of thumbtacks and threw him around the ring. And, uh, yeah, like, and, and, you know, after talking to him, he was like, yeah, like I used to submit videos to MTV of me just <laughs> insane shit, you know, and it was it's very much like your progeny. Like, this is what you guys begat. You know, when Jackass first came out and it said on the uh, screen, the first thing, you know, they said, don't, we do not accept videotape submissions, so don't even bother sending them. <laughs> I remember thinking like, well, I mean, nobody would know where to send it. Maybe you could send it MTV, but that's not going to get to us, you know, like, um, and, and I remember thinking like, let me go on the internet and say, Hey dude, like send them to me, you know, <laughs> like I wanted to solicit videotapes and, and put out uh, a DVD called children of the beast <laughs> attempts at being on jackass. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> And uh, I thought that that was, I mean, in hindsight, I don't think that that was, uh, you know, it would even be that great, but. Um, well, it did, it did kind of happen, right? MTV had like three or four different shows that weren't, weren't even like spinoffs, like not counting the stuff you guys actually did, but like, just like guys from Scotland doing it. There was, I think a group of right. yeah, Australia, the, uh, like they, they really did kind of franchise out this idea. Yeah, they had it, it was there's some guys from not Scotland, but guys from Wales. Wales, and, sorry, um, that's very offensive for me to confuse the two. Sorry, Wales. <laughs> right. And uh what was it? They were called Dirty Sanchez. <laughs> and in, in in England they were called Dirty Sanchez, but Dirty Sanchez being like a particularly naughty uh reference. Um <laughs> they, they in America they called them Team Sanchez. <laughs> that's right because what what they were doing was fine but <laughs> what they called themselves was not no that's where you have to draw the line that's, that's really where it goes yeah. too far and i um, think that with with a lot of these uh certain sort of you know shows or or uh ensembles that like that, I think the dirty Sanchez guys like kind of tripped over themselves a little bit, like in uh, maybe taking it too seriously. I don't know because I didn't really see anything too much, but uh, but I think that that what made Jackass kind of work better was a, a bit more lightheartedness and uh, you know lightheartedness, and we we're able to kind of not taking anything too seriously well yeah and like it's it's like uh you know lightning in the bottle charisma that you all have you know and that's the thing that you need because like we need to love the people that are suffering to make it work like that's where it's also like wrestling like where you're you're kind of manipulating the audience in the sense that we we need to love you and we need to think that this is a fun time to make that pain acceptable and like yeah very few other people that are doing this seem to to catch that yeah man well it's it's a lot of fun dude so what number of podcast is this for you 335 i think wow and, and you put it up every week i put up two a week now 
I could put up about wow. three probably. There's a lot of demand to be on it, weirdly. Um, nice, been, dude. I mean, I saw it, like some of your previous guests really impressed me, man. Well, it's, um, it's just, it goes to show and like having you on and hearing you talk about fucking gut instinct. Like I opened for gut instinct, uh, I guess it'd be close to 10 years ago or I played with them. And, uh, at that show, I never in my life thought I'd be talking to Steve-O about a gut instinct, uh, years later. Yeah, they're fucking good, man. They're really dude. good. Uh, but that's the, that's the uh, weird thing is like, you know, it just keeps connecting different worlds, you know, and we're all weirdly connected. Like you're saying earlier, like we're drawn to it because I think we're all searching for something and we're all lonely. I'm, I'm interested. You said you did a show with them 10 years ago, but they wouldn't have put out any new material for like over 20 years right no it was the seven inch reissue show when they play, played in baltimore it was us this band cold world and the chromags and uh and oh dude the chromags dude how did i forget about them my bro john joseph yeah <laughs> yeah i love that guy did you uh did you ever see them back in the day i didn't but um i i was turned on to them in 93 so that was almost uh uh as a, a little bit of a soundtrack of me um, failing and and dropping out of the University of Miami. <laughs> were you going to shows when you were in Miami? Um, not anything that you'd be particularly interested in. And mostly I was just trying to get fucked up. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, and, and we didn't talk too much about death metal, but uh, Deicide was that, uh, you know, came, came in. The uh, I really became a big fan of Deicide, and I and I feel like there's that the, there's uh, a caveat to that. I like I like Deicide when they uh, are when Glenn Benton is articulating his words just a little bit more than yes. Ooh, <laughs> you know like again and 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 boy did I step in it when I went to a Cannibal Corpse show in uh, I believe two thousand and seven. And, you know, they're like, they brought me into the dressing room immediately after these guys got off, got off stage. They're covered in sweat. They just got off stage. It's like, oh, yeah, you know, like, and, and you know, meeting the guy, I don't know which guy, one of the guys. And I said, dude, like, I said, oh, man, dude, I really want to, to love you guys, but. I can't make out fucking anything you're saying and I feel excluded. <laughs> like I feel excluded. <laughs> you know, I want to know what's so evil about what you're saying. I can't understand a fucking word. <laughs> and it was, it was, uh, it was just not what you say to those guys, particularly not when they just got off stage. No. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome how did you uh get into big brother magazine like was it just through skateboarding because it was, it was such an was, interesting magazine yeah oh my god it was so great it was while i was living in albuquerque new mexico um again i moved there in 96 only lived there for what two and a half years mm -hmm. um and i just i loved it man i just i just loved it so much and then um Big Brother was coming through town on a, a, a Duff's Shoes tour. And um, I uh, just made it my mission to track them down. I mean, it was a pretty small skate scene. Uh, it wasn't going to be too tough to, to find them. 
And um, when I did find them, you know, it was Dimitri. And I told him basically, I was like, dude, I don't, I'm going to be, you guys are going to fucking put me in the magazine, dude. I fucking love you guys, man. I'm fucking putting you put me in as I, you know, <laughs> like the message is sort of like, I don't care if you like me, but you are going to include me in the pages of your magazine. <laughs> you know? And, uh, you know, that night everybody wound up at um, a keg party. And this is where uh, I did my fire stunt with uh, the pro skater for, for Duff's Chris Markovich. And it was sort of, I light my head on fire. He blows a fireball off of my head, you know, my flaming hair being the torch. And I, you know, I've got my hands doused in alcohol, which I stick into the fireball that's coming off my head. So now my hands on fire as well as my head. And then I'm going to do a simultaneous fire breathing back flip, like with my own mouth, like all in one crazy sequence. But the sequence began with, Chris Margaret blowing the fireball like point blank into my face. So from the from my shoulder up, like shoulders up, my whole fucking face is on fire. Yeah. And and my best thinking in that moment was I better hurry up and do this backflip. <laughs> <laughs> so I do a fire breathing backflip with my whole fucking face on fire. And I come up short. So I land on my knees. So that sort of like precludes me from being able to put my face out as, as you know because i'm like kind of laid out on the ground and i get up and i'm like just flailing through the backyard like my fucking face on fire and uh was hospitalized with second degree burns on half my face and uh and, and i got i got published in big brother and that was um <laughs> that was how i how, how i was introduced to uh the yeah, really the skateboard community, but um, more importantly, the, the people behind Big Brother. Is that one of the bonus features on that first DVD, I think? Um, it wasn't my first DVD that I ever put out. It just played like a, like a regular scene. Don't try this at home, Steve-O DVD. Yeah, yeah. That is, uh, those those remain some of the most, especially the tour DVD. The, the, yeah, the next oh my one. God, yeah. It, those are like unlike any band tour documentary ever. Like there's nothing like that for a road movie. Um, yeah, I, I think it's fair to say. I, I think that that I would even say that where where I I dished out all of this praise for Jackass being wholesome uh, on some level, um, the wholesomeness you know, didn't transfer over to uh, my tour DVDs. <laughs> that uh, that uh, reverence and respect for others really kind of was checked at the door when uh, when I went on tour. There's uh, like recently um, Jenny, uh, who sings this band Savages, was on the show and she talked about this idea of living in your art, like in sort of uh, Cassavetes as a filmmaker and the idea of him living in his art, he was not living in his art anywhere close to the way you were living in your art. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Hey dude, I've thought many times over the years that, that, that third DVD, which was called, uh, out on bail. Yes. Um, which represented the first six months of the year 2003. And, like I've thought many times, like fuck, if I could just live six months of my life on a loop forever, <laughs> <laughs> for 
which is a fucked up thing for a guy who, uh, you know, like an alcohol drug addict who's in recovery to even think. But I can't help it, man. That fucking that was the time of my life, dude. Well, and, and the reality is you can't relive them, right? So that's the, right. that's the I guess, the healthy <laughs> thing about having that memory. Right. Yeah. Like, but though, and, that, and it wasn't even, like, I don't know, I just remember it like, it's like this. I, I, I romanticize it. And, uh, and I shouldn't because yeah. it really, uh, you know, it's just, there's just a lot wrong with that whole period. <laughs> and well, I guess that's the, that's the disservice once again about that documentary is the fact that, yeah. you know, here I am watching it and it looks, you know, it looks wild and out of control, but it also, I don't see the probably really dark times that also came along with that period of your life. I mean, I don't know when I say there's a lot wrong with it. Like, uh, I, I was, I, I was, uh, being really t- taken advantage of in a business sense, you know, like, like I just didn't, I didn't fucking care. I mean, back then I thought I'm going to be dead anyway. Like I don't need, I wasn't um, responsible about stuff. And uh, I just wanted to get footage because that would, could still play after I died. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so to, to look back on it, like uh, the amount of money that was being generated um, and, and that I never saw any of, I mean, I don't really need, you know, I don't hold a grudge over it or anything now, but I just look back on it like, wow, you know, it was just a different time. It was a different time. And, and, and for me, like having ended up getting sober and, and, uh, you know, like becoming on in some way, like a, a healthy person. Now I'm confronted with uh, the scary possibility or even probability that, uh, you know, I, I'm perhaps only middle-aged, you know, like, yeah. fuck, I'm like the idea of, uh, fuck, you know, for all the fear of death out there, like fear of living for a long, long fucking time is, is what I suffered from, I think. And so now I'm like in this crazy, uh, you know, try to get organized, try to get, get, uh, you know, motivated, try, try to really be productive and, you know, because the idea of, uh, living for a long time, like, uh, that it makes me feel like I really need to be much more uh, clever about my resources and uh, and more specifically my finances. Well, I guess that's really like once again, like how it comes back to what it's like, similar to pro wrestling in that way that you're it's like a Faustian deal with fame fame that you have, where you're paying for it with your with your body. Sort of, yeah. I mean, I've evolved enough that uh, I, you know, I'm, I still, I still do super reckless shit. And boy, am I getting ready to do, uh, you know, I'm putting together a whole show. I don't know when I'll start because I still have the bucket list one that I told you about. But yeah, once uh, the bucket list runs its course, and then I put that special out, um, I already know that my next one is called uh, Gone Too Far. <laughs> Where uh, and I don't like I don't know what that's gonna really paint me into a corner, but I've got it all pretty mapped out. Do you think you'll ever be able to give it up and like walk away from it? Is that is there like an exit strategy? Like obviously you're you know you're a massive uh, cultural figure outside of just what you do in terms of stunts, (laughs) but like in the way that it's 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 a great idea. I mean it's it's a great question, and it's uh, you know I, I consider myself 
I mean, everything that drives me has always been an overdeveloped need for attention. Mm. Um, like clearly, whether it's jackass stuff, whether it's, you know, stand-up comedy, like anything that I do, like, uh, and um, it, it's, it's scary, the idea of being an attention whore uh, in middle age, because clearly getting old is a fucking major party foul, <laughs> which really offends people. You know, like there's something built into the human condition, which is uh, like a fear of mortality, you know, like nobody, I mean, in, in Eastern cultures, it's not like as big of a deal, but, but in the Western world, like nobody even wants to contemplate their mortality. No, just definitely. fucking blinders on, you know, I would say that in uh, you know, probably a really large portion of the population of America would not know what the definition of hospice is. Yeah, you know, like let alone like, you know, when when people get old, like just put them in a fucking nursing home. I don't want to see them, uh, and I don't want to know where the nursing home is. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. it's kind of like the whole mentality because old people are a reminder of our mortality, and we don't want to think about our mortality, so we don't even want to fucking look at old people. You know, and so that's why getting old is so scary to me because it represents like being ostracized. It represents being a walking fucking party fell and to be trapped in, uh, in that situation with uh, a crazy hunger for attention is like the ultimate fucking scary idea. You know, like I need yeah. to be the center of attention yet. Nobody wants to pay attention to me because I'm a reminder of their mortality. Like, fuck, that scares the shit out of me. So I mean, one way or another, I, I got to figure out how to evolve out of the attention whore business. <laughs> and um, I think that like, what got me kind of on that path a little bit, first off, was just, uh, you know, getting into 12-step recovery. You know, that didn't, that hasn't gotten me out of the attention whore business in any fashion. But what it has done has helped me to sort of draw a line between the persona of Steve-O and, you know, my personal life. You know, I, in my personal life, I'm the most boring fucking asshole you could possibly imagine, you know, like, and, uh, and I love that, you know, so I've got, I've got some separation, you know, I've got my character and I've got like what I really, who I really am. Um, and, and just now, like I'm starting to, um, I'm starting to work on, on, you know, th things to do. And, and the feel like, for example, right now I'm sitting in a, a warehouse facility that, that I've rented to uh, it's a fulfillment center. You know, this is where I've got a, a warehouse with all the merch. I've got a warehouse staff um, and, and we, we fulfill all the orders coming in from my, uh, my online store. And, um, gradually we're starting to take on uh other clients um and so that like gives us the the potential to expand and expand and expand and ultimately i could be uh you know in the shipping business yeah and who knows like i've also got a a, a bit of a budding career 
as a uh, a tattoo artist. I've been giving tattoos, and actually, within the next nine minutes, my uh, tattoo guru is coming over, so I can uh, drill some ink into him. Is it Rollins? <laughs> no, no. It's uh, I'm, I'm sort of doing a very unconventional apprenticeship under. Uh, but yeah, like these are ways out for me as I see it, you know, and like even stand up comedy is a little bit of like sort of a weaning, you know, like you can kind of do stand up comedy uh, as a pretty old guy. Um, you can do podcasts, I think. So I'm evolving in, in ways, but uh, but yeah, this whole middle age and getting old thing scares the fuck out of me. And, and that's the kind of the premise for um this new book that I'm working on. Well, that's the thing about wrestlers is they never walk away, right? Like look at Ric Flair, look at Terry Funk, look at all these guys that, you know, you can't walk away even though, cause, cause it's something, cause it is your art, you know, like even though you'd pay for it with your body and even though it does, you know, it, it is an art form that you've, you've kind of committed your life to at a certain point. And like, you know, it's very hard for like a painter to stop painting or a musician to stop making music. And I think much in the same right. way, it must be difficult for you to stop doing what you've done. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and I imagine athletes, poor fuckers. Yeah. yeah. You know, absolutely. Like, uh, but yeah, in any case, man, you know, we, we go on and we figure it out as we go. And like, uh, and, and like, to, I think that the, 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 the out of everything, you know, if I, I just described this, like this uh, crippling fear of getting old and everything. And it's like, that's, uh, it, it's so stupid that whenever I get caught up in, in, uh, in fear, like the, the, yeah, what's up dog? The, the, the question is, um, you know, where's my faith in all this, man? You know, what the fuck is, is uh, like it, 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 everything is the way it's supposed to be. And uh, everything's going to be fucking fine. Um, you know, and it's like we're, we're, we're alive in this body on this earth to, to have a good time with it, man. So I got to learn how to fucking lay back and get ready to be an old fucker and, and enjoy everything. And with well, that, my been... man, yeah, I, I got a jam because actually I got, I got a surprise visit from my good buddy, Bam. Well, Steve-O, this has been incredible. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time. And anytime you want to come back here and talk more punk rock, I got a lot more <laughs> questions and, and art in general. You're, you know, you're always welcome. Well, hey, man, I appreciate you, Damien. And again, sorry for flaking on you the last time. And uh, yeah, it's been, it's been a, it's been a pleasure, man. Thank you, Steve-O, for coming on the show. And. I gut instinct to word salad. That's my ideal mixtape right there. Uh, don't forget to check out stevo.com for gnarly his new special, because my God, does this man suffer for our enjoyment and he will be hopefully be back for a part two. <laughs> if he survives all these things, because there's a lot more places for us to go down the road in the future. And speaking of down the road in the future on the next episode of this show, we're going somewhere completely different. Coming up on the next episode, Pat Flynn from the band Fiddlehead and, of course, Have Heart will be joining me on the show. And he's one of the coolest people in hardcore. And we have a really fun conversation. And I am very excited for you to hear it. And that's that. Remember, as always, Black Lives Matter. The lives of Indigenous people matter. We need to protect trans kids. And we need to help trans people protect themselves. Uh, and we also need to stop hate and violence towards Asian people. 
uh, go out there right now, get informed, get involved, show up, uh, um, sign petitions, uh, to just lend support, educate yourself, just, just smash fascism. You know, these aren't political issues. These are just like human rights issues. So just, you know, support people being free, you know, and, and just living their lives. People just want to live their lives. Speaking of living your life, live your best life by putting something out there creatively in this world. Create your own culture. Start a band, start a fanzine, start a podcast. You know, just just do something. It'll help your mental health. You know, you know maybe, maybe just draw a picture or something for yourself. I tried meditating recently. That's helping me mentally as well. So maybe that'll work for you. I didn't think it was going to work. And it works. It works. You know, maybe this exercise thing. I'm going to try that next, I think. And eh, probably not. Probably not. Uh, uh, sign your organ donor cards because by the time they come looking for those things, uh, you're, you're not going to need them. You'll just be like, get them out of here. I'm dead. I don't need these. Give these to someone else and maybe it'll help them. And wear a mask, get vaccinated if you can, and we'll get back to playing shows and being in shows soon. You know, I, I can't wait. Can't wait to see everyone. All right. I love you. Stay safe. Thank you for listening. Goodbye. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 